Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. So my question for, for us all this morning is, are, are you using your influence in a way that honors God and blesses other people? By influence, I mean, uh, I just mean the capacity to have an effect on, on other people. The truth is, every, every one of us, everyone in this room has influence. Like whether you feel big and mighty or whether you feel small and inconsequential, you have influence. You have an effect on the people that are in your life. There's no such thing as a person that's so small that they don't have influence. If you don't believe me, just try to fall asleep in a room with one mosquito flying around and see how it goes. It's a little, right? You know, just imagine your teeth are brushed, the lights are off, you're pulling the... the the pillow's still cool and you're pulling the covers up, you're just dozing off and you hear, mm, right? That little thing, powerless, but has enough influence to get a grown man to jump out of bed, swing a slipper around with a flashlight in his underpants like a madman, all right? All right, uh, I, I got a dog. We have a dog named Bella. She's like this big. She's like 13 pounds of fluff. This is the least intimidating. She barely even qualifies as a dog uh, because uh, she doesn't do any actual dog things. I've seen her pass a piece of sausage, sniff it and go, no, it's not my flavor. She's just not even a real dog. She goes, uh, she doesn't have teeth. I mean, she's got a mouth like this big, so she can even bite you if she wanted to. Uh, and and uh, but she doesn't have any teeth left. And you can't even say that her bark is worse than her bite because she's such a non-dog that she literally does not know how to bark. She doesn't even bark. It's like 13 years of being an alleged dog and she can't even bark. Like our best chance at her defending us from an intruder is that she like roll over on her back and does this with her paws and the guy's just distracted by her cuteness and we just slip out the back or something. She's just the definition of, of little and weak and powerless, but she has influence. I tell you, why do I say that? Because if she wants to go outside, all she's got to do is go to our sliding glass door in the backyard and do this. That's it. Just two little taps. The the sound is about as loud as if you were to put two Tic Tacs in your hand and then drop them on the ground. It's that loud. All she does, she does that, and she's all of a sudden got any number of of members of the Hillstead family going, oh, Bella, you want to go outside? Or do you want anything else? You know, that's just happens. She has, she's small, but she's got, she's got influence. Think of an infant, a newborn infant, just fragile vulnerable, so dependent on parents that, 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 that he or she will literally die if they don't provide. But that infant has influence, right? Because all they got to do is cry and two grown adults who would much rather be asleep will get out of bed, make that little child whatever midnight snack in a bottle they want and uh, do anything else to meet the child's needs. There's no such thing as a person that's so small they don't have influence. You have influence. The question is not if I have influence. The question is not do I have influence. The question is how 
do you use your influence? When you boil it down, we can, we can use our influence one of two ways. This might sound a little like oversimplified, but think about it. When you boil it down, you can use your influence one of two ways. One, you can use your influence in a way that exploits other people and benefits yourself. Or you can use your influence in a way that edifies other people and blesses everyone involved. And Jesus says uh, that only the second option actually honors God. He explains the concept of how to use uh, influence over and over in, in the Gospels. One of the times he mentions it is Mark chapter 10. I don't know if you ever read this, but two of his closest disciples come up to him and they, they, they submit a request. They say, hey, can you do this for us? Can you grant that we sit at your left and your right hand in glory? What are they asking? They're saying, hey, Jesus, in heaven, in the kingdom one day, we want nice thrones right next to your thrones. Like two, they can be a little smaller thrones, but still thrones. We want people to know that we're important and we want a position where we can rule over people. And then all the other disciples get ticked off. And it's not because they're, the, these two jerks are just exceptionally jerks. It's because all the, the, all, everyone else wants a throne too. Wait, why should y'all get a throne? I want, we, we all want a throne. And then um, uh, uh, verse 42 of Mark chapter 10 says this, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, the Gentiles are people who don't know God. They have, they're clueless as to who God is, how he operates, how things are. And, and they're, not pe- they're people who are not trying to live according to how God wants them to live. He says, this is how they do business. People that don't know God, they lord it over them. They like to control. And their great ones exercise authority over them. That's how, that's how people that don't know God view greatness. And that's how they use influence and authority and power and so on. But Jesus goes on, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You want, you want a definition of true greatness? Here's how Jesus says, this is how you be great. You serve. Whoever would be first must be slave of all. So in the kingdom, in the economy that God has arranged in the, in the kingdom, things like power and influence and, and authority and stuff like that, they're supposed to be used so differently. They're supposed to function differently than the rest of the entire planet. And Jesus says, even the son of man, he's talking about himself, right? That was his favorite messianic self-designation. He says, even the Messiah, like the coming king, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And how did he serve? He says, and uh, to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom, that's the amount of money that you pay to purchase someone out of slavery. Jesus says, this is why I came, to serve. And how would I do that? I give my life to emancipate people, right? To set people, not to exploit, to set them free, to edify them, to build them up, Right in the, in, the, in the kingdom, it's not about how, how, how many people we can control. Greatness is not about how many people we're over. Uh, it's about how will, willing we are to 
lift other people up. And we see this in action. Jesus, this is a principle. And we see Jesus live the principle out over and over and over again in the Gospels. A great example of Jesus kind of fleshing this principle out is found in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And this this is when Jesus encounters a guy named Zacchaeus. We're going to learn a little bit about Zacchaeus. You may be familiar if you ever learned the song. He was a wee little man and a wee little man was he, as it were. Uh, Jesus meets this guy and it totally changes Zacchaeus' life. And uh, so what I want to do is I I just want to read the narrative, read through the passage. um, And then I want to pray. When I pray, I invite, as we do every single week, I want to invite you to pray with me just in your heart. It's very simple prayer. We're going to say, God, will you help us get this? Like, we, we don't want to just hear it. We want to get it and it actually change the way we go about you know, this following, this coming Wednesday. We're going to pray, God, will you help us get this? And then look a little bit closely at each verse. And my simple goal is that as we all catch a glimpse of Jesus using his influence, we would learn how, a little bit more about how God wants us to use our influence. That's it. So here it is, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood And said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. So would you pray with me now, church? Uh, so Jesus, we, uh, we kind of transport back in time and we catch this glimpse of you interacting with this man named Zacchaeus. We see, Lord, that you used your influence in a way that wasn't for your own personal gain, but it was to accomplish God's purpose. And that was to save people. We see, Lord, that one meal with you and Zacchaeus had a total 180, a complete change of heart. And Lord, we want to experience that same transformation as well. And so I pray, God, as we dive into this passage, very simple prayer, Lord, would you, would you help us just get it? that we, it would, we would get it in a way that changes the way we live. And pray this in your name, to your glory, and for the sake of a world who needs you. Amen.
Okay, so verses one through four, they kind of set the scene, right? It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Important to know that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. This took place uh, shortly before what we now call Palm Sunday. Uh, This is the week before Jesus would go to the cross. He's on his way to to Jerusalem to to be crucified. And uh, he's passing through Jericho. And uh, this is no longer the grand fortified city that we read about in the book of Joshua. This is a revised version of it uh, that came a thousand years later. And it says, verse 2, and behold... That word in the Bible, behold, you know what it means? It means check it out. Pay attention. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. So we learn a couple really important details of Zacchaeus' life here. First thing, he was a tax collector. This is really important to understand to kind of get this. He was a tax collector. Here's a kind of a boring history lesson. But uh, at the time, Israel, where this took place, was not its own country. It was a territory occupied by the Roman Empire. And the Romans didn't collect their own taxes. What they did, would they would sort of subcontract the collection of the taxes to people in the region. So a man like Zacchaeus, a tax collector, would kind of place place a bid and it would go to the highest bidder and they would, they would, uh, Rome would grant that person the right to collect taxes in a certain area. And they would say, okay, you've paid X amount, feel free to collect that. And anything above and beyond you know, goes in your pockets. So you can imagine uh, men like Zacchaeus, these tax collectors, uh, weren't anyone's favorite people. Is anyone in here excited about the government taking more money out of your pockets? I don't think so. This guy uh, is the type of guy who got rich by lining his pockets by taking the people's hard-earned money. He wasn't the kind of guy you like. And if, you're, if there's any question about whether or not he was a fair tax collector, that is answered in the second statement we learned, and he was rich. That's not an irrelevant detail. He was a tax collector and he was rich. How do you think he got that way? You ever hear the Beatles song? One for you, 19 for me sort of situation. And not only was he uh, a tax collector who was defrauding his people, therefore making him a traitor, he was a chief tax collector, an arch tax collector. So he, he had expanded his enterprise through dishonest leadership. He had other little under tax collectors collecting for him and so on. This guy affected a lot of people's lives in a negative way. And the worst part about it for the Jewish people at the time was the fact that one of their own, one of their brothers, one of their countrymen would join the enemy oppressor, take money from them and get themselves rich through defrauding their own countrymen. This is the ultimate betrayal. This is, he's an absolute traitor. And so if you want to get a feel, <laughs> there's an exercise. If you want to get a feel for how people 
uh, in the Jericho area would have felt about Zacchaeus, what I want you to do is picture a politician that you can't stand. Don't say it out loud, all right? Don't say the name out loud. We don't want to facilitate a church split, you know, right before the Packer game and all, you know? So here's the deal. Just picture the, you know, we all got that one politician that we're like, that's slime ball. That person's trying to ruin the country, blah, blah, blah. Picture them. That is how everyone felt about Zacchaeus. He had betrayed them. He had linked arms with the government that was oppressing them and he was taking their money. He was, he was, he was the kind of guy, think about this, who never thought about anyone but himself. But on this particular day, something was a little different. And I don't really know, I don't know, we don't know what was going on in Zacchaeus' world. But on this particular day, verse, verse three says that he was thinking about someone else for some reason and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. And so he's curious about Jesus for some reason. Uh, but a, on account of the crowd, he could uh, not see him because he was, he was a little fella. He was short in stature. So here's what he does. He, verse four, ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. This is a fig mulberry tree, not like what we would think of as a sycamore tree. Uh, lower branches, broad leaves, and uh, he climbs up in this tree uh, that would have normally lined the, the road. Why? So he could see Jesus. Think about this. This rich, influential, political figure climbing up in a tree to try to get a glimpse at the the one at whom everyone else is gawking. This is a very undignified position for a man of uh, Zacchaeus' rank. And now there's a lot packed into this encounter. And there's a lot that we don't know as well. We don't know what was compelling him. We don't know what was driving Zacchaeus. But, but, but I want you to see just three key details about, uh, in this encounter that Zacchaeus has with Jesus. First thing I want you to see is that Jesus leveraged his influence not for personal gain, but for the purposes of God. You process that? Jesus leveraged, that Jesus used his influence Not for his own personal gain, but for the purposes of God. Let's look at this. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. That, that, that is a reception of hospitality. That means Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his, his home. And when they saw it, they all, this, this crowd, they all grumbled. All this Jericho crowd, they grumbled. He has gone in to uh, be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Dun, dun, dun. It's scandalous. <laughs> Jesus is going to get Zacchaeus' little sinner coot. He's all over him. What are we going to do? See, no one else would give this guy the time of the day. You process this? No one else would give Zacchaeus time a day. And for good reason. I mean, my goodness. I'd be, 
you know, I'd have my own internal struggle about inviting someone to a barbecue at my place if they had just stolen $2,000 from me. It'd be, so, but Jesus, he, he breaks from the social convention and he crosses the societal boundaries. He even crosses the chasm in the relationship, the, the break, the fracture in the relationship. Jesus crosses that and he invites himself to dine at the home of Jericho's persona non grata. And it totally upsets the status quo. Every, listen, if Jesus were on a political campaign, he would have just lost the election. If Jesus were seeking popularity, he should have steered clear of, of Zacchaeus. But Jesus drew in, I hear this, he drew in the person that the rest of the world crowded out. You process that. He drew in the one everyone else crowded out and he says, I must stay at your house today. There would have been a thousand other people who would have been happy to welcome Jesus into their home. But he says, I must. It's like there's a divine compulsion. I've got to stay at your place today, Zacchaeus. Why would he do that? It's because Jesus was using his influence, not for his own personal gain. He would gain a whole lot more popularity staying at anyone else's house. But he was using his influence for the purposes of God. And the second thing I want you to see is that the influence that Jesus had on Zacchaeus influenced Zacchaeus' influence, if that makes sense. The influence Jesus had on Zacchaeus, it changed the way Zacchaeus used his influence. Now, we're not privy to um, what was said over that dinner table. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall and just hear how, how did Jesus interact one-on-one -on -one with this scoundrel. Just this guy's just the worst. But something about how Jesus interacted with him just melted him, melted his heart. We don't know the content of the conversation, but here's the deal. We do know the outcome of the conversation. Verse eight, and Zacchaeus stood. So he stands up from the table. At the time, they would have been reclining with one elbow down at a lower table, eating like this. He stood from the table Almost like the meal's over now. And he said, Lord, uh, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. See, you, you sit at the table with Jesus and you stand up with two things. One, a greater awareness of how you've wronged others. And two, a more intense desire to make it right. You see, pre-Jesus, pre Zacchaeus, he was a textbook example of the abuse of power. Pre-Jesus, Zacchaeus was a textbook example of how to not use influence. He was exploiting his positional authority, exploiting his place in society, exploiting his relationships for his own personal gain. He was hurting others to help himself. But after, like think about this, he was lording it over them like one of the rulers of the Gentiles. Does that make sense? But 
after dinner, something is totally different. After, after dinner, he, go, he says, anything I've defrauded, I'm going to restore it. And he goes above and beyond. The law at the time would have required that he give 20% more than what he had taken. And he says, I restore it fourfold. This is well above and beyond. And on top of that, instead of taking from people, he says, I want to give. I want to give half everything I got to the poor. I've never given half of anything I've got. I don't, I mean, maybe a sandwich with one of my kids, but half of everything I've got, I give to the poor. So Zacchaeus, he resolves to use his influence not to be served, not in a self-serving way, but to serve others. So Jesus influences Zacchaeus and it changes the way Zacchaeus uses his influence. He starts affecting people more like Jesus affects them. The third thing I want you to see is that Jesus viewed all of this as evidence of the saving work of God in the life of Zacchaeus. It's like Jesus viewed it as the fruit of true salvation. How do you know it's an apple tree? Well, there's all these apples coming off the thing. Uh, uh, Verse nine, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. That's uh, an Israelite, one of God's children. He should have been acting like one, but he was lost. But now he's a true child of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So you think about this, Zacchaeus meets Jesus and his heart is changed and his posture toward others changes. And instead of taking from others, he desires to give. Instead of uh, exploiting, he begins to edify. He begins to invest in others. And Jesus looks at that and says, that's the fruit of salvation. Everyone else says, I can't even believe he would go into the house of that sinner. And Jesus says, that's exactly why he came. Because when I visit the house, salvation follows. And it changes people. It changes the way they interact with, with others. And so, now what, what on earth has this got to do with us? Here in Northeast Wisconsin in 2023, on a warm January day, what's this got to do with us? Here's the deal. Although... Um, Here in Wisconsin, it might be considered rude to invite yourself to someone else's house. Uh, Jesus wasn't Midwestern (laughs) and Midwest nice hadn't been invented yet. And I I think Jesus wants to invite himself over for supper at all our places. Jesus Jesus wants to invade our house and and, and bring salvation and the fruit of salvation uh, into, into our lives. And so what does that mean? If Jesus wants to come over for supper, well, I'm still learning how to be a Wisconsinite, so I'm not exactly sure on this, but I mean, I think that means you pull some, you know, venison bratwurst out of the freezer and get out the good dishes, whip up a nice cool whip and Snickers salad. And, uh, you don't want the Lord showing up with nothing to feed him, you know? Uh, <laughs> now, Here's what I want to say. I I don't think it's a stretch 
to say that for every one of us in this room, there's an area of our life or some areas of our lives where we are using our influence more like pre-Jesus Zacchaeus rather than after dinner Zacchaeus. I'm willing to bet there's, there's, I'm willing to bet that we could pause right now and think of a relationship, um, one dynamic, one area where we are not using our influence in a way that honors God and blesses other people. You've got influence. You've got influence in, in, in your home. You've got influence in the workplace. You've got, influ- you've got influence. In this church, you have influence. If someone walks in these doors, you, it's impossible that we don't influence each other. You have influence in this, in this community out here. Right? You have influence. And the question is, are you gonna use it? Are you using it the way God wants you to use it? So I'm gonna ask a couple questions um, and I, and I encourage in you a willingness now. Would you have a, an openness? Would you have a willingness uh, almost to, to, to see error in, your, in yourself? And I, I promise you, I'm, I'm doing this right along with you. Um, but is there a relationship in which you are using your influence to maybe control or coerce the other person? Is there a relationship in which you are taking more than you are giving and it's been that way for a really long time? Is, is there a relationship where in some way, be it subtle or not so subtle, you, you, you might be manipulating the other person for your own personal gain? Is there, is there a relationship in which you're, 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 you're using it, you're twisting it in whatever way to like kind of make something in you feel better or, or to, to appease a, a certain fear that's in you or to, 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 to meet a need in, that's internal? Um, just about any relationship, just about any relationship can be manipulated. manipulated. And a lot of times we're not even aware of the fact that we're doing it. And here's the bad news. Stuff like this doesn't just go away on its own. Bad news. In fact, it, it, it usually gets worse if it's less, left unattended. The bad news is we, we won't grow if we don't have a willingness to admit uh, that maybe our behavior negatively influences other people. We will not, it's, that's, it's, it's, it's bad news that we won't grow unless we have a willingness to identify the underlying wounds uh, that drive that behavior. We won't grow unless we have a willingness to do the work of finding healing for those wounds. We will not grow without a willingness to ask for help of God and and other people uh, to, to kind of heal those things up. The, the, the only people that really grow, uh, I guess I'll, I'll say it this way, the only, I think the only people that really grow are people who are courageous enough to turn down the, the volume on the noise of their own insecurity low enough and for long enough uh, 
to be dangerously curious about what's going on inside them and then connect the dots between that and how it affects people outside of them. So I guess my question is, do you have the courage to spend a little time in prayer and start asking yourself and ask God this question? Do you have the courage to ask God, why do I do what I do? Do you have the courage to ask someone in your life, someone that you actually, that knows you well enough to know like the real you, the, the, the uglier one, you know, the one you don't show the rest of us? <laughs> do you have the courage to ask that? Per- and, and someone who's honest, they, they got a backbone and they're not a jerk, but they're also not gonna blow smoke. Like, do you have the courage to ask someone this question? What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to experience me? And then, and then listen without defending. Um, the bad news is we won't grow if we don't get honest with God and ourselves about the way we influence people, right? That's the bad news. You will not grow unless you get honest with God and yourself about how you influence people. But here's the good news. Is that that Jesus that we just read about here Standing at the bottom of the sycamore tree saying, come on, Zacchaeus, I got to go to your house. I'm coming to your house. I have to stay at your place today. That Jesus that dined with uh, Zacchaeus and somehow just melted his heart. The Zacchaeus, the, the Jesus that changed Zacchaeus's life. He's the same Jesus today. He hasn't stopped being Jesus. And he gives that same invitation He says, I want to just show up at your place. I want to invite myself over like an inconsiderate Midwesterner. (laughs) And I want to come in. in, in The same life change, I believe that the same life change that Zacchaeus experienced is available to us today. We We can experience the same heart melting, the same influence changing presence of Jesus. I believe he'll do the same thing in our lives so here's my challenge. With, uh, with a willingness to see error in yourself, would you be courageous enough to get curious about how you affect other people and then start a conversation with God about it? That's, it. That's my challenge. You process that with a willingness to see error in yourself. This is, no one likes looking in a mirror too long. But uh, would, you, uh, would you be courageous enough to get curious about how you affect people and then just start a conversation with God about it? Here's, a, here's like a little baby step exercise you could do if, uh, if, you're, if you're going, okay, I, I get it, dude. Uh, what do you want me to actually do? If you're one of those people, I'm one of those people. So if you're one of those people like me, um, here's a little exercise you could do. You could ask some like spend some time in prayer and reflection and ask some who, what, when, where, why, and how type questions, all right? Like who, who do I influence? Um, how, how do I influence them? What about it's negative? What about it's positive? What about it's Christ-like? What about it is, is, is not? Why do I influence them that way? That's probably the most important question in the bundle. Does the way I influence someone change based on where we're at 
or, or when uh, we are interacting and how I'm feeling. Here's it, here's it. What would it look like for me to use that influence just a little bit more like Jesus? How can I turn the dial up on Christ-like influence? You have influence. Every person in your life is affected by you. You have influence. The question is, will you use your influence in a way that honors God and builds other people up? And I swear, we do that. If we all, if, if we all, every single one of us in this room gets serious about that, we're gonna be a church that blesses the socks off this community. That's, a, that's the kind of church I wanna go to. And I assume that's the kind of church you wanna go to too. So would you stand if you're able now and receive this benediction? And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And God's people said, amen. Enjoy the Packer game. We'll see you next Sunday.